Good morning, everyone. Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? Isn't it wonderful to be a Seventh-day Adventist? Every day, with a growing relationship with Jesus, things get better and better. Because we are in a growing relationship. It means that things improve and get better and better. Today we're going to explore more about Jesus. As you know, in these early services, we're moving through the Gospel of Mark. And today we're up to Mark chapter 5. To have an understanding of Mark chapter 5, we need to just briefly examine the closing scenes of Mark chapter 4, because that sets it into context, Mark chapter 5 for us. So I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning. If you don't have one with you or a device that has one, there's some in the pew right immediately in front of you. I'll be preaching from the New International Version, and I'd like you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4, and we'll notice particularly verses 40 and 41. You'll remember with me that Jesus was in the process of crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and there was this storm that frightened the daylights out of them. And Jesus calmed that storm, and then in verse 40, he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So in verse 40, Jesus asked two very important questions here. The first question is, why are you so afraid? The original word here that's translated as afraid or fearful is a rather negative word. It's a challenging word. A more accurate translation into English would be cowardly or timid. Not the kind of word that men like to be called. Implied in this question is a not so subtle rebuke of the disciples. Why are you being cowards? We also should notice the tense here. Your Bible will have translated this not as why were you so afraid? But it's in the present active. Why are you so afraid? And you'll notice when Jesus asked this question, all has become calm. And then he asks them, not why were you afraid, but why are you so cowardly? In verse 39, everything was calm. They were afraid. And hence, the second question that Jesus has for his disciples. Why do you still have no faith? No confidence, no belief, no trust, no commitment. These are Jesus' questions. Verse 41 goes on to describe their terror in more detail. Mark there uses the word phobos from which we get the obvious English word, phobia. He uses the word twice, side by side, in two different forms to really emphasize it, meaning 
Why? Absolutely terrified, totally controlled by fear, is one meaning. But the second meaning when they're used side by side is, why are you in awe, absolute awe and respect? This is describing the experience that they were experiencing. They were in total fear, totally controlled by fear, but at the same time, in absolute awe and respect of Jesus. In fact, they were so afraid, they couldn't even get out the logical answer that Jesus was asking them. Almost like an altar appeal. Jesus says, don't you have any faith? And they couldn't even get out, yes, we have faith, we believe. They couldn't get out the yes. Instead, in their fear, they could only say, Who is this? Who is this? And this is the question of the entire book of Mark. Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? As you probably recall, the very opening words of Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it begins with, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the emphasis that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if I may, let me just interrupt myself here with a footnote. In some Bibles, particularly the New International Version, there's a little letter there beside Son of God. Did you look to the bottom of the page and see what it says? It says there, in some, manu- some manuscripts, do not have the Son of God. I pulled the thread on this. How many manuscripts? Which manuscripts? I've got to tell you, it was just a few. The Sinaiticus manuscript, a small minority of those manuscripts have, don't have Son of God, but all the rest of them do. That was one example. A second example is a 9th century manuscript, which is really quite late. 9th century. It's one single manuscript. It doesn't have Son of God. One single minuscule, which is like a fragment of a document. And that fragment comes from the 11th century. That doesn't have the Son of God. You know, some of our Bible publishers... They're publishing as a business rather than a ministry. Don't lose faith and confidence in God's word by this overprudence here. It's a small minority, a handful among hundreds or thousands of manuscripts and texts that say that don't have Son of God. Yet all the others have Son of God. Don't lose your faith confidence in God's word and don't lose your faith and confidence in Jesus being the son of God this is the emphasis of Mark's book we've noticed before how the climax of Mark's book is the cross Mark wants us to stand before the cross and consider who this Jesus is turn with me across to Mark chapter 15 And as we stand there in Mark 15, 
contemplating who this Jesus is, we have these words in verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his, his last. Verse 38 says, The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. This is the experience that Mark wants all of his readers, all people to have, to recognize this beautiful Jesus who could say and do what he did, live the life that he did, died the death that he did, for us to have confidence in this Son of God. Jesus wasn't just a noble martyr. Jesus remains as the Son of God. Now, Mark leads us to this point very carefully. We've noticed before that on two occasions, the Father in heaven has acknowledged Jesus as his Son in Mark's Gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 11, at his baptism, Jesus was acknowledged by the Father as his Son, and at the time of the transfiguration, the Father refers to Jesus as his Son. There were two other times demonic spirits refer to Jesus as the the son of God in Mark chapter 3 verse 11 and in this very chapter that we're going to be studying this morning in Mark chapter 5 a demonic spirit identifies Jesus as the son of God in verse 7. So Mark chapter 5 is all about providing evidence, powerful compelling evidence that this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. We'll find formidable evidence here because Jesus has the power to calm storms. Jesus has the power to throw a legion of demonic spirits out of a tormented man. He can heal a woman strangled by illness for 12 years and he can raise a beautiful 12-year-old little girl from death. Now, at the same time, as well as revealing the true identity of Jesus, this chapter explores fear, human fear. Now, we humans, we can be afraid of a lot of things. Isn't that right? Mark explored that in our kids' story this morning. Some people can be afraid of aeroplanes going up in the air. We get down safely. That's something that I've got to live with fairly frequently. Some humans are afraid of heights, confined places, dogs, sharks, and 42 rattlesnakes. That's enough to even give an Australian nightmares. Spiders, particularly the ones with hair on them, the big ones. Some people are afraid of water, mice, death, failure, poverty, even success, crowds. You know, some people will even make snakes out of rubber. 
They only do that for one reason, don't they? What are you going to do with a snake made out of rubber? You're going to scare somebody. You're going to play on those fears. That's a mean, insidious mind. There's no end to the things that people can be afraid of. In fact, people can be afraid of Jesus. And that's the point of Mark chapter 5. People can be afraid of Jesus Christ. People can be afraid of Jesus, the Son of God. Today in polite society, we are schooled to avoid two topics of conversation, aren't we? Politics and religion. Two best things to talk about. But why are people nervous, afraid to bring up those two topics? People are fearful of what those two items of conversation can lead to. Today, people are afraid to believe in Jesus Christ. Some are afraid to believe because of the demands that that belief will place upon them, their choices, their preferences, their lifestyle, how they choose to live their lives. Some opt for agnosticism, or alternatively, some choose just to seal themselves off from the gospel. But even some Christians, believers, some Seventh-day Adventists, can be afraid of Jesus. People in the 21st century are remarkably similar to those of the first century. People are people. Let's look at Mark chapter 5 and we'll notice some examples of this fear. Mark chapter 5 verse 1 begins with, They went across the lake to the regions of the Gerasenes. This is the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. This was Gentile territory. Most likely it's in a place today that's referred to as Umkais, close to one of the cities of the Decapolis. Umkais is about five miles from the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as we read through the account of what happens next, it makes sense with a man living alone, living in graveyards amongst the dead, people keeping pigs in rather deserted places, travelling to a place and then a crowd comes. It fits in with the the geography and the description of Mark. Let's read verses 2 to 5. It says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. According to Mark, this is Jesus' first journey of ministry to minister among the Gentiles. 
And notice who's there to welcome him. We know today when a dignitary arrives in a foreign land, how are they greeted? It's a special time, isn't it? The red carpet's rolled out. The band is there, spick and span. There's salutes, there's military aircraft that do the flyover. It's a big deal. Jesus arrives and Satan is there to meet him. Satan in the form of a truly frightening individual. A man who is controlled by undiluted evil, who lived his life with the dead. No one previously was a match for his strength. No chain could bind him. And folks, we're talking about the Iron Roman Empire here. No Roman chain could bind him. Day and night he's running around screaming and cutting himself with stones. And I imagine those cuts as infected as well. It would have been a ghastly scene. Everything about this individual is truly frightening. Verses 6 and 7 go on to say, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on, on Jesus' knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to me that you won't torture me. This man has some recognition of Jesus. He has some understanding of the identity of Jesus. He calls Jesus son of the most high God. But then he asks, are you going to torture me? He understood the identity, but not the character of Jesus. Jesus is not into torture. While this man could run to Jesus, and you've got to imagine this, this would truly be quite intimidating. This mad, wild man running at some pace, right to the brink and then grabbing the knees of Jesus. Intimidating and many other things simultaneously. But Jesus shows no fear. In fact, as the story unfolds, there's not one demon inhabiting this man, but a legion. And Mark shows this legion of evil spirits is completely subservient to Jesus. This legion of spirits, they beg Jesus. You know, as well as fear, begging is a frequent point in this chapter. Begging and desperation. And there's also a lot of healing in this chapter. Fear, begging, and healing. They fear this legion. They fear Jesus because of his power as the Son of God. But there's no need to fear Jesus because of a nastiness. That's just not there. They beg to be able to enter 2,000 peaks. Jesus grants their request. Could you imagine the noise and the commotion of these 2,000 pigs 
herding down that slope. Can you imagine the pounding of their trotters hitting the the ground as they're running down? The squeals, the terror even in the pigs. And then as they hit the water, those 8,000 legs pounding the water, frothing it up, churning up a great sea. When one animal is out of control, it's frightening enough. Imagine 2,000 simultaneously at the same place. With this, we can begin to imagine the chaos, the turmoil, the perpetual storm day and night that lived in that man's body, that lived in his mind, in his heart, all the time when we see what it did to the pigs. And can you imagine the relief that he experienced when he was healed? Some of us wrestle with pain. Even a headache can be debilitating. And when that moment comes of relief, what a release it is. Can you imagine the relief on this man? Verses 14 to 17. Those tending the pigs, Renoff reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went, to, went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead or beg with Jesus to leave their region. Let's unpack these fears of the people for a moment. There was no indication in the text that the people feared the man when he was possessed by the legion. Nothing there that says that they feared him. We can imagine that they kept away from him, didn't trouble him. But their fear really started when they saw him healed, dressed in his right mind, sitting with Jesus. It was similar to the calming of the storm. Yes, there was some fear in the disciples as the boat was being swamped, but the real fear came after Jesus calmed the storm. And Ellen White in Desire of Ages describes the experience of this man after he was healed. She writes on page 338, Meanwhile, a marvellous change had come over this man, she says. Light had shone into his mind. His eyes beamed with intelligence. She describes his countenance, so long deformed by the image of Satan, suddenly became mild. Bloodstained hands were quiet. She describes his glad voice as it praised God for his deliverance. The Gentiles were similar to the disciples. 
the disciples feared Jesus after the calming of the storm. The Gentiles feared Jesus after the calming of this man. And they were begging. 2,000 demon-possessed pigs wasn't as frightening as one rescued man. And they asked Jesus to leave and to leave them alone. For Mark, this miraculously restored man became the first public evangelist, a Gentile. The healed man, as you'll recall, begs Jesus, can can I come with you? Jesus says, go home to your friends and family and tell them what the Lord has done for you. He wasn't granted his wish. The Bible goes on in Mark's version and and talks about how he went through Decapolis and all the people, Gentiles, were amazed. And Desire of Ages makes a crucial point here in in page 340. She makes the point that this guy, she doesn't call him the guy, but this man hadn't heard one sermon from Jesus. Now let's talk about fear. This man hadn't heard one sermon of Jesus. He hadn't observed one Sabbath. He hadn't been to one Sabbath school. Never studied one Sabbath school lesson. Probably not even baptized. And he goes to ten cities. Gentile cities. And the people are amazed. Can we be afraid of what God asks us to do? It can truly be frightening sometimes. Mark 5, verse 21, 22 and 23. Let's read these verses. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. In more ways than one, Mark makes it perfectly clear that Jesus has crossed back to the Jewish side of the lake. How does he tell us that? He uses the word synagogue. And you're not going to find pork chops, are you, in synagogues. He makes it very clear that this is the, the western side of the lake. And once again, Jesus is greeted by begging. What was the result? Well... While Jesus is receiving this begging request of, Jesus, of Darius, it's a, Jairus, it's a different kind of begging. And it's really quite pronounced here. This man was a ruler of the synagogue. 
And let's notice how he comes to Jesus. Let's unpackage it. Verse 23, he says, Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be what? Healed and live. This synagogue ruler is even telling Jesus how to heal his daughter. This man is used to being in charge. And it comes through. And you know, a 21st century thing that we live with is that we like to be in charge. We like to take charge of our lives, to be in control. Even to be in control of Jesus. This man pushing Jesus, telling Jesus how to do his job. Sometimes we need to step aside from our in-charge attitude and learn to rest, wait, and let God do what he does best. Yes, we need to come to God, as this synagogue ruler did, put our petitions before him, but let God be God. Now verse 25, just before that, at the closing end of verse 24, it describes how Jesus went with this man. Verse 25 says, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she'd been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Can you imagine how Jairus is managing this delay? Come to my home, Lord. The door of death is opening for my little girl. Come and touch my little girl so that she can be healed. And instead, Desire of Ages talks about how Jesus just hadn't stopped for this one woman. He'd stopped quite a few times to meet, greet, and heal people, comfort people, encourage people. This delay, could you imagine the frustration of the father waiting there? Just hurry up, will you? Please come. The last thing that Jesus needs is another problem. This man is thinking. But this son of God of Mark is a big God. He can handle a problem there on the shore of Galilee. He can fix a problem in Fiji, the United States. This is the power of, the, of this God, this son of God that Mark is revealing. And we can almost imagine this synagogue ruler putting his arm around Jesus and trying to 
hustle him through the crowd. But it wasn't working. Jesus can tell the difference in our touches. A touch of manipulation is different to a touch of desperation. But why was Jesus so adamant here of who touched him? Why confront this woman? What about confidentiality? What about doctor-patient confidentiality here? Why bring all of this out? Such a, a private thing. Why bring it out? Once again, if I can refer to Desire of Ages, she writes, After healing the woman, Jesus desired her to acknowledge the blessing she had received. The gifts which the gospel offers are not to be secured by stealth or enjoyed in secret. So the Lord calls upon us for confession of his goodness. Ye are my witnesses, she quotes from Isaiah 43, saith the Lord, and I am God. She was a witness that Jesus was the Son of God. And this was to be brought out. And then in verse 33 and 34 we read, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. We can see she's fearful after the healing. And told him the whole truth, the whole story. When somebody tells you the whole story of an illness, it's normally a long story, isn't it? When they say the whole truth, she wasn't going to miss one detail. When somebody begins a story with back in 1968 you know you're not going to get the executive summary. And poor Jairus is waiting there, listening to this whole story. We can imagine he's thinking, Lord, this is a mature woman. My little girl, she's young. She's got so much living to do. You know... There is something special. There's something special about 12-year-old little girls. I've had that blessing in stereo, if you know what I mean. 12-year-old little girls, so sweet. Their daddies are everything. The way they do their hair the nice clothes that 12-year-olds wear, the softness of their skin, the sweetness of their hands. And here is a father just thinking of his beautiful 12-year-old girl at home. Please, Lord, hurry, come now. Then this man receives the news. Your daughter is dead. Couldn't have they said that in a nicer way? Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
Now Jesus addresses Jairus for the first time. Up until this point, he hadn't spoken to him at all. And notice what Jesus says to him. Don't be afraid. Now is not the time to be afraid. All the expectations were gone and smashed and broken. Jairus was now vulnerable. The Son of God could now do something with this synagogue ruler. And he says, just believe. Just trust. And Jesus takes this man. He gathers a select group of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they go off to the home of Jairus. There's the commotion. He draws the mother of this little girl in, closes everyone out. This wasn't a Steve Martin leap of faith movie. This wasn't a faith healing to to gather the support and money. This was an opportunity for real resurrection. And we read before how Jesus takes that little girl's hand and says to her, Talitha, Little girl, I say to you, rise up. Sometimes we expect the Son of God and we ask the Son of God to give us a healing. But God, in that infinite wisdom, gives us something even more a resurrection. People get sick again after being healed. But when there's a God-given resurrection, it's eternal. Sometimes some of our loved ones fall asleep. But this is the time to trust the Son of God. There will be a resurrection. And it will be eternal. You know, after the stilling of the storm, there was fear. After the healing of the legion-possessed man, there was fear. After the healing of the woman, she came fearful to Jesus, there was fear. After Jesus took the little girl by the hand and raised her, there was no fear. Instead, the Greek word is ecstasias. There was ecstasy. There was a resurrection. Mark wants to show us that there is no need to fear this Jesus. There is no need to push or pull Jesus into the image that we would like him to be. He is the Son of God. And the Son of God will not be limited by our vision. Because we're in a growing relationship with this Jesus, we understand and decipher more and more about us, about him. We can't begin to imagine the great things that he has installed for us, beyond our imagination. And sometimes God needs us to get out of his way so that he can do what he needs to do. And that leaves us to acknowledge him as the Son of God. And that leaves us to be ecstatic Fear replaced with ecstasy. In your bulletins, there's this little connection card. I'd like to invite you to take out that card. 
If you don't have a, a pen or a pencil, there's normally one in the pew right in front of you by those little envelopes. Take out that pen or pencil and this card. And there's an opportunity there for you to respond. I would like to put my fears in Jesus' hands. If you would like to put your fears in Jesus' hands, why don't you just check that little box there? I would like to put my life in Jesus' hands. Jesus as the Son of God. If you would like to put your life in Jesus' hands, why don't you check that second little box there? Don't ignore the rest of this card. There's important details here. If you'd like a, to begin a relationship with Jesus, there's a special card there where you can be helped and discipled through that. If you'd like some information on how to be baptised, check that box. If you'd like to join us here at this lovely church in Spencerville, there's a place there for you and there's a place to mark that on the card. And if you'd like to prepare for your own baptism, please mark this card and you can be discipled through and prepared for baptism. Jesus, that Son of God, who takes our fears and gives us ecstasy.